Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the chance for us to be together tonight and to to have fun and to sing. And God, I pray as we look into some uh, biblical issues, God, and biblical thoughts that you will uh, help us to continue to have a good time and help us to learn and to to leave here uh, better equipped for life and better equipped to help other people uh, in this life too. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Good evening. Wasn't it fun with the kids tonight? I want to tell you, no matter how old you are, if you've never done this, you ought to memorize the books of the Bible in order. It really does help you in your personal Bible study when you're trying to find something. It's a simple thing, but it is a very profound and helpful thing. How many of you have your sheets for tonight? should say April the 24th. We had some old sheets out there that could, April 20th, if you need sheets, raise your precious little hand, and some of our highly trained professionals, and Brandon and Clayton, will uh, we'll get them to you. We are, we were going to end this theology of life in March. But it looks like we'll end it in late December. So <laughs> we are going to the next few weeks, and we are we spend our time very wisely tonight. But I may have to cut a little short, so we'll pick up where we need to next week. But the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the end of times, which a lot of times uh, people who come to church on Wednesday night like to talk about and enjoy and. And it, it is a fun thing. It's something you need to be, uh, you do need to understand to some degree, certainly because it's in the Bible. I want to begin with this, if you have your sheets. The doctrine of the end of times has been so divisive. If you've been in church, would you agree with that? Churches have split over the end of times, and people have gotten mad at each other. Years ago, in my second church, which was a wonderful church, that's where I met my bride, it was a wonderful church, we were doing a discipleship training at 5 o'clock before church, and we started going through Revelation, and after three weeks, I said, we are not doing this anymore. This is ridiculous. We were arguing. It was it was silly. Uh, Titus... Titus is our first blank there, 3, 10, and 11. Titus 3, 10, 11. Listen to what this passage says. As for a person who stirs up division, put them on the major committees of the church. Whoa, it doesn't say that. After warning them, him, and that's gender neutral, by the way, once and then twice have nothing to do with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, they are self-condemned. So I, I think that that particular passage, the context was not talking about anything end of times, but it would include that. So being divisive is a sign that something is wrong in you or in me. It's, it's, it's not a good quality. So when it comes to end of times, we're going to look at some things that orthodox, and orthodox means mainstream Christians, uh, biblically, that we have to agree on about the end of times, but there's a lot of things we don't have to. I'm going to give you some some big word definitions this evening that I want you to use on your friends this weekend and 
to impress them with how spiritual you are. And you know, I, I did something evil. Some of these words are hard to spell, but I thought I'm just going to do it to them to do it to them tonight. The first one is the word eschatology. Let me spell that. E-S-C-H-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Was that not mean? It's going to get worse for I'm, I'm sorry. Eschatology is the science of the last things. It is of or relating to the end of the world, final events of history, the second coming, the resurrection of the dead, and the judgment. I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to tell somebody, what did y'all talk about at church? Eschatology. What did y'all talk about at church? Psalms 100 at your church. We talked about eschatology at First Baptist. It sounds significant, doesn't it? The second thing, number two, this is, this is easy, second coming The second coming, this is the doctrine that Christ will return to earth personally, bodily, and visibly. The coming of Christ as the judge on the last day. Okay, when was the first coming? Not a trick question. When? Christmas. So the second coming is when Jesus comes back to earth again. That's pretty simple. The third word is revelation. Revelation is the doctrine of God making himself and relevant truths known to man. Revelation is obviously the name of the last book in the Bible, but the word revelation is, is, means revealing. The act of revealing truth. God reveals him self to us. This is important in a general way, such as through nature. And that's called general revelation. God reveals himself to us in a special way through the Bible and Jesus. This is called special revelation. That's very important. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about God making himself known through nature. That is general revelation. But to know God and to know Jesus Christ, ultimately we need special revelation, don't we? So we have the Bible, we have Jesus, God being revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth word, and I'm sorry again, this is a big one. Or it's not a big one, it's just not an easy one to spell. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Somebody give it a shot before I spell it. A-P-O-C-L-Y. Good job there, Ashley. Apocalyptic, A-P-O-C-A-L-Y-P-T-I-C. Now, doesn't that sound like a kind of a scary word, apocalyptic? Apocalyptic, this is a writing marked by symbolic imagery. What book in the Bible would be profoundly known for apocalyptic type of writing? Revelation. Uh, here's an example, Revelation 1.20, where a lampstand is, is a church. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And said so that this is stuff really is important to understanding Revelation well and understanding it properly. The fifth word on page two is the word tribulation. Tribulation. Distress or suffering. How many of you have 
experienced some tribulation in your life. You have. Uh, tribulation biblically would, would be primarily the idea of distress or suffering resulting from oppression or persecution. When you've been oppressed or persecuted, it's a trying experience. In regards to the book of Revelation, it is often referred to as a literal seven-year period of great distress. How many of you have heard of the book of Revelation, the tribulation? Okay. The sixth word, again, this is, I think this is the last bad one that I did to you. Millennium. I'm going to spell it. Not like millennium, cr- millennial, cr- what do we get? Millennial crunch, the, si- the ice cream, the bluebell. What is it? Y'all be quiet. Y'all not supposed to talk while I'm preaching. <laughs> millennium, M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-U-M. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-U-M. This is from two Latin words, milla, which means a thousand, and the word anus, which means year. A millennium is a thousand-year period. This term is also used to speak of a literal or symbolic thousand-year reign of Christ that's talked about in Revelation. Anybody know what chapter? 20, Revelation 20. Number seven, antichrist. Antichrist. This phrase, this is important. This is really important. It, It means in place of or against. It is anything or anyone who tries to be in place of Christ or against Christ. Okay, true or false, there have been many, many antichrists through the years. True or false? Absolutely. If someone told you today that they hated Jesus Christ and did not believe he was the son of God and he was a phony, that's antichrist, isn't it? I mean, they technically would be an antichrist. Now, the Bible tells us there's been many antichrists through the years, but that there will be one major antichrist figure uh, as history winds down. Does that make sense? It's a little confusing. I, I think growing up, I, you know, I, all I thought about the Antichrist was the one prominent figure that will be, but that there have been many Antichrists throughout years. I, I think if you and I would have been around and, and, and we would have known to the extent of what was going on with Hitler, uh, that's a pretty good Antichrist figure, wasn't it? And, or isn't it? Absolutely. Number eight, the word rapture. Rapture, it's not something that happened to your grandpa. He pulled something when he was putting the hay in the barn, got a rapture. Y'all are listening, aren't you? Okay. Frank, you ever had a rapture in your back? Rapture means to be caught up. Now, I want you to listen because I'm fixing to make some of you mad. Not intentionally, I'd never do that. It's a state or experience of being carried away. Now, listen to this. The word rapture is never found in the New Testament. At my first church, I'd been there about two months, and I said that, I thought they were going to kill me. The concept is, the concept of rapture and being caught up is found. Now, listen, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Go home and look it up yourself. You need to believe your preacher. I'm not lying to you. 
You need to get 15% on Sunday morning. Believe your preacher, right? <laughs> the concept of being caught up is. The, the word is not. Here's another big word, but I, I was good to you. Hermeneutics is Bible interpretation. Hermeneutics is interpreting the Bible. This is the science and art of biblical interpretation. And this is important as we look at Revelation or anything. Whether you know it or not, you are a practicer of hermeneutics if you read your Bible. You need to be a good practicer. Homiletics is preaching. How many of you knew that? How many of you had heard that before? Homiletics is preaching. This really has nothing to do with the end of time study, but it's a fancy word that you can use to impress your religious friends. You can go home on Sunday morning and say, yes, our pastor with his homiletical skills hermeneutically was sound as he explained eschatology to us. They will think that this is just the hottest and goofiest church on the face of the earth, wouldn't they? Number 11, exegesis. This is an important term. Exegesis is the interpreter attempting to derive his understanding of the Bible text from the text. Wait a second. Is that not a strange concept that you should interpret the Bible from the Bible? It, it, it's not. Exegesis means ex, out of, or from. Listen, this is super important. How we should, this is how we should interpret all Scripture. This is where people get in, get in trouble, get in trouble when it comes to the end of times and, and any time is that we don't do this. We should derive our understanding of the Bible from what the Bible itself says. Somebody say amen. Exegesis. Number 12 is what we do a lot of times. Eisegesis is reading our meaning into the Bible text. This is the wrong way to understand, explain, and interpret the Bible. Eisegesis is reading into Scriptures what we want them to say, not letting them say what they say. Have you ever heard someone, even a preacher, explain a passage and you go, what in the... That that's not what that says. Have you ever heard that before? And see, here's if we're not real careful. Baptists can do it. Church of Christ can do it. Presbyterians can do it. We have our belief system, and if we're not careful, we take our eyes and we put it on every Scripture, right? And you get in an argument with somebody, maybe who's stubborn or hard-headed or is not going to ever admit they're wrong, and they're giving you weird thoughts on Scriptures because everything is seen through that lens that's not what we want to do. Let Scripture speak. Now, you have to understand, try to understand the whole picture of Scripture because some taken by themselves can sound pretty weird. But proper hermeneutics is exegeting all of it together, not just part of it. Make sense? Probably not, but I hope so. All right, we're going to quickly cover this, and then we're going to get out of here. Here is, here is some fundamental beliefs on the end of times. When I said earlier that this is divisive in places, it is, but what we're, we're going to have fun the next few weeks because we're going to look at some different ways revelation and then the times are interpreted and let you make some intelligent choices on your own. Here's, as a church, these are things that we can't compromise on, okay? We can differ on all millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, pan-millennial, la, 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 you know, whatever. 
And, and, and you can get mad at me. I can get mad at you. But who cares? But these are things that we have to agree on. Here's the first thing. Jesus is coming back. This is the second coming. He is literally coming back. That is non-compromisable. And our statement of faith on our website, our statement of faith will always say, if we're interviewing a minister, and we're going to be looking for some ministers in the days ahead, and they say, well, I really don't believe Jesus is literally coming back, we're going to say, God bless you, and I hope you find a good church that will hire you because we won't. Matthew 24, 30, we're going to camp out at this passage for a second. Then Jesus will appear in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus is coming back again. We can't compromise on that. Number two, his coming will be visible. It will be visible. Again, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. If somebody tells you Jesus came back and you, you know, you, you missed it or whatever, they lied, didn't they? See, this was happening in Paul's day is that, by the way, they were looking for him to come back anytime then, is that people say, well, Jesus came back here. He came back. No, when Jesus comes back, it's, everybody's going to know about it. Number three, it will be universal. Jesus didn't just come back to America or Israel. His return will be worldwide. Again, looking at that one verse, so much is said. All the tribes of the earth will see him. It'll be universal. Number four, it will be unexpected. Unexpected, unexpected. He will come like what? A thief in the night. Okay, now listen. No one, repeat after me, no one, including you, knows when this will happen. Here's one of the funniest things ever. When I've taught this before, especially in small groups, I will almost always have somebody say, well, but, well, but, well, Tim LaHaye said, well, no. Repeat after me. I don't know when he's coming back. Jesus didn't know when he was coming back. If Jesus didn't know, I don't know. Amen. That was really, really weak. I mean, like, some of you think you know. That's the problem. We got a problem here. Matthew 24, verse 36. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 36. But concerning the day and the hour, you will find this in the Tim LaHaye novels. Whoa. That, that day and hour, who knows? Not even the angels of heaven, nor the sun, but the Father only, and that includes people in Ruston. Amen? But it doesn't say Ruston in there. What? <laughs> Verse 44. Verse 44. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You don't expect it. You don't expect it. And if you look at your notes, that should be 2 Peter 3.10, not 4.10. And that's my era. 2 Peter 3.10, and it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And lastly, it is imminent. 
It is imminent, that last blank there. It is imminent. He could come back any time. If you read the 13 letters that we know the Apostle Paul, God wrote through Paul, when was Paul expecting Jesus to come back? Then. Anytime. Matthew 24, 44. It says, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man. It is coming at an hour you do not, what? Expect it. Our best bet is to believe these facts and be ready to meet Jesus any day at any hour. I ask you as we get ready to close, are you ready? Are the people you love ready? 2 Peter 3, 9 is a verse you need to memorize because it's packed with great theology. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, talking about the second coming. As some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wanting, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm not going to read these just for time's sake. You can look them up when you get home. That's 2 Peter 3, 14 and 15 basically said, as we await for Jesus to come, we should live holy lives, godly lives, and that Jesus' delay gives us an opportunity not only to make sure we're ready, but to help other people come to Christ. See, all this is super practical. Live well, evangelize, and take as many people with you. We're going to stand right now. Frank's going to lead us in just a a moment of invitation. Maybe tonight you want to give your life to Christ. You want to join the church. You want to come and pray or, or for us to pray with you. We would love for you to do that. You come now as we sing.